Welcome to Rationalist, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your co-host, Morgan Wack, and I'm here with the whimsical, Eddie Matthews. How you doing, yes. Eddie? Yes. Good, because we're talking about a whimsical movie today, in its own way. That's true, in its own way, no doubt about it. What is this lovely movie that we're talking about? Is it Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Also whimsical. Good times. No, it's... <laughs> is um... it Snow White and the Huntsman? No, that's a good flick, though. No, is it Snow not. White and the Huntsman, Huntsman 2, which I'm 70% sure is a real movie? I think it is a real movie. They might have changed I the name. It might right. not be called Snow White and the Huntsman 2, but it's like the Huntsman. Maybe it's just the Huntsman. They changed it and they got rid of Snow White. There's something like that. I'm pretty sure that's a real thing. Yeah, the only thing more nauseating than a remake is a sequel to a remake. You know, yeah. like yeah. Um, Jurassic Park. I guess they just um, dropped a trailer for a new Jurassic Park that got the They're bringing cast. back the original cast, yeah. They're yeah, trying to nostalgia, I, nostalgia FS uh, to get you to I, go see it, yeah. I just hate how postmodern uh, film franchises have become where instead of like a good plot, it's just self-referentiality. Yeah, it's, and there's, there's no nothing clever about the referentiality either. It's just like, no. hey, we brought them back. <laughs> hey, isn't it great? Laura Dern's in this again? It's like, they said no, the thing they said last time. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty weak. Yeah. Although I will say that cast looked, they aged very well. That Jurassic Park money went a long way. Sam Neill yeah. looks the exact same age he did like 40 years ago. <laughs> true, true. Very impressive. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, those paleontologists after the experience they went through were like let's venture into that world again you know do you think whatever they... we're not here to talk about jurassic park we're here to talk about see that would be a clever sequel if they used the science instead of dinosaurs they used it for you know age aging cream some sort of spin-off we could have the same underlying themes not necessarily the same plot see call us up hollywood i mean we're already I was going to say, we're already being recruited to Spotify, obviously. They're trying to win us over because of the, the Joe Rogan gap. They've been reaching out to us, uh, you know, trying to, trying to get in on this podcast in recent, recent weeks. We're holding out. Yeah. Joe Rogan's been under a lot of heat recently, but, you know, I've been listening to his podcast, and when it comes to COVID, he makes a lot of sense. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he just got it kicked off Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Okay, what's the real movie we're talking about today, Eddie? In Bruges, the the delightful 2008 film written and directed by Martin McDonough. Um, nice, nice pronunciation. His, yeah, his first uh, feature film that he was directed for. He won an Oscar for a short film a couple years before that called Six Shooter. Mm-hmm. And he was a very prominent um, playwright in yeah. Britain prior to getting into screenwriting. Um, he... I believe was born in London and then kind of grew up between London and, and Ireland. Um, so I think he has kind of dual uh, British and Irish citizenship, um, which I think you can kind of see in a lot of his movies. Um, and his, his next movie that comes out soon-ish is filming now, Banshees of Inishirin takes place in Ireland. I'm probably very much butchering Indusherin, but that's that's what Well, I'm yeah, about. and it's getting uh it's getting his crew back together with uh, Colin Farrell and Exactly. Andy yeah, Lisa. so it's a good time for us to do this even though we're technically 13 years late, but 
we're just bringing it to people's attention who might not have been been uh, watching films in 2008 or may have missed it or just need yeah. a reminder that this exists and they can watch it again anytime they want on their televisions seriously which i would recommend i if i if someone put a gun to my head on this day uh you know and was it the 12th what's that they don't know <laughs> we just put it up later so February you can lie 12th. all you want <laughs> 2022 and said what's your favorite movie in the world i think i would say in bruges would i would 100 percent say in bruges it wouldn't yeah actually somebody asked me that yesterday and i did say in bruges so yeah i'm not even lying you know <laughs> when uh, you were mugged so yeah exactly they're they like what's your favorite movie and i was like oh I'm bruges so you know it's legit uh yeah so this um is clearly close to both of our hearts. Um, but we can get into why, because um, maybe we have different reasons for why it's our favorite. Who knows? Maybe they're the same reasons. Um, but to kind of just give the, the bullet points of the plot, there are two hitmen, um, Ken and Ray. Ken is played by Brendan Gleeson. Ray is played by Colin Farrell. They're two Irish hitmen. Uh, a job goes wrong in London. And so they're sent by their boss, Harry, played by Ray Fiennes to hide out in Bruges, Belgium. And they're not really given any reason why uh, they're going to Bruges or what they're doing there. They're just kind of laying low. So I just um, want to say really quick, if you haven't seen the movie, stop this podcast right now, go watch it, and then you can come back and be reminded of the plot. But go yeah, watch definitely. It right this now. is not a spoiler-free yeah. uh, podcast. Agreed. Okay, continue. Sorry, I didn't want to save anybody the, uh, the trouble there. No, it's okay. So... Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's pretty much just following uh, these guys around Bruges for a couple of days as they have these little adventures. And um, the job that goes wrong is, uh, is Ray, Colin Farrell's character, his first job as a hitman. And he's uh, sent to this church to kill this priest by Harry, his boss. And he kills the priest, but he inadvertently, accidentally also kills a child. And so he is just uh, trying to come to terms with what he did and the guilt. And so he's, he's guilt-ridden this whole movie and is suicidal and uh, trying to make sense of uh, his, his mistake and how to move forward or if uh, he should just end it. Um, and then Ken, his, uh, his kind of um, fellow hitman is... Uh, somewhat of an older brother, maybe father figure in, of, of sorts to him and is trying to talk him off the ledge. And so, yeah, they're uh, laying low, waiting for directions from their boss and exploring Bruges, which uh, the film states is the most well-preserved medieval town in all of Europe. It's a fairy tale um, fucking city, isn't it? <laughs> it's a fairy tale fucking city. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because... I've been getting a lot of complaints about the pod, Morgan, that we're not cursing in the office enough. <laughs> and it wasn't not enough Irish accents, too. So I was, I was going two for one there. That's what I've so heard. So this is the pod. Um, where Actually, it's not even, it doesn't even count as cursing if you do it in an Irish accent. I feel like that's just part of <laughs> the accent. I will, I, will, I will say that every Irish person I know <laughs> curses a lot. <laughs> so that tracks. Um, but that's just anecdotal evidence. So <laughs> Dude, just wait for our next spot on anecdotal <laughs> evidence, people. It's going to blow your minds. Um, 
so yeah those are the basics of the plot and then we'll get into the shenanigans that they get into um but as far as the the kind of bullet points of thought am i missing anything big no i think that's that's a good place to start for sure i think that's that's pretty i mean it's it's you mentioned earlier that martin mcdonough is a playwright and i think that is very evident throughout it's more based on themes i think than plot i would say like the plot is kind of incidental in a lot of ways and yeah the themes are really what drives the story um yeah, yeah. they're very uh dialogue heavy movies too yes. so it's which not makes hard sense to imagine. Yeah, I mean, yeah yeah imagine them as plays especially this one mm-hmm. um but you know they're not a ton of set pieces there's um not a ton of action there's kind of just these like flashpoints of action. except for the, show, the showdown except for the showdown <laughs> Um, and I just think that the performances in this movie elevate it to something that's transcendent. Like the performances they get out of Ray Fiennes and Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell and the chemistry between those three in particular. Um, yeah, so I'll, I guess I'll just go into some of the reasons why I, this is my favorite movie. Um, some some of the philosophies and then you can go into the reasons you're and then we can talk about my interpretation of the film at like okay. a more deeper archetypal level which I don't think I'm original in this interpretation but we'll get into that um, so I guess I should start off by saying Ray Fiennes I could watch in any movie like I any movie with Ray Fiennes makes it a worthwhile movie to watch in my opinion the, the dude is just such a phenomenal performer um and i think especially in movies where the character is like agitated in some way he does agitated anger so well and like he it, it's comical but terrifying too you know yeah i mean i think this is the first movie where he kind of showed his comedic chops if i'm not mistaken and now he's like i would say more of a comedic actor than like a traditional dramatic actor but i think at the time he was pretty much known as more of a dramatic actor yeah um and then the performances of brendan gleason like it's the more i watch this movie and rewatch it the more i appreciate his performance because at the start he's just kind of this curmudgeonly you know older character who's dragging colin farrell to all of these uh museums to see you know the culture of the medieval town and and Ray, you know, uh, he doesn't want to go, you know, he just wants to go to the pub and he wants to um, meet girls and just wants mm-hmm. to, I don't know, try to like find the nightlife in a city that has no light- nightlife. And so you kind of think it's a basic performance, but the more it goes on, uh, the more you just see how Brendan Gleeson goes from being kind of a, like a reluctant um, caretaker to uh almost like a christ-like figure and someone who's like a protector of ray against their boss harry um because that's that's a big plot point right so midway through the film they finally get a call from harry that they've been waiting for and ray is out on date and so uh ken brennan gleason takes the call and harry finally tells him why they're there uh harry when he was a kid went to bruges and just thought it was a fairytale place had such you know fond memories of you it have to boy. say you have to say it in the accent <laughs> it's a fairytale fucking place no that's pretty good <laughs> nice hey, thanks <laughs> um 
so he wanted to give this kind of uh you know wonderful dreamlike uh town as a, a a parting gift uh from life to ray before he has ken kill him um the reason that harry has ken uh kill ray or you know because he the reason he directs ken to do it uh, is because ray uh, accidentally killed a kid and he and if there's kind of one principle that harry lives by it's just that you can't kill a kid and get away with it um so he's adamant about this point so um the movie goes along and uh you know ken is about to do it he gets a gun he goes to the park where ray is he tracks him down puts the gun to his head and then ray puts a gun to his own head not seeing you know ken behind him and is about to kill himself and then ken stops him and then um just something changes and ken and he becomes you know a protector of ray against harry so he puts ray on a train um he tells Harry he let him go. Harry comes to Bruges to have it out. And um, and then Ray inadvertently comes back because of some shenanigans. But um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the tension of the movie is the, the guilt that Ray feels and how is that guilt going to be uh, reconciled? Or how is that, how is this horrific, you know, deed of killing uh, this child going to be atoned for? So really, it's a movie about atonement, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, do you want me to go into why I think it's a, a great movie as well? Uh, yeah, and then we'll go into my interpretation of uh, of kind of the symbolism of it. Which okay, and I can do that after. Yeah. yeah, so just, I mean, I'll reiterate what you say. I, it's tough for me to say whether... I've been so, I've probably seen this movie, you know, 20 times. It's hard for me to say whether, how much the movie has kind of imprinted and what I'm looking backwards on, but all three of the main actors in this are incredible. I will watch all three of them in anything. And that's probably because they're so good in this that I will forever be in debt to their performances in this movie. But Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, and Ray Fiennes are all terrific. Colin Farrell gives an amazing performance. I mean, you already talked about Brendan Gleeson and Ray Fiennes, but Colin Farrell is also excellent. He plays like a, you know, purposely kind of naive, um, very impressionable young person who is essentially the heart and soul of the movie. And he's so good in that role. You totally believe it, even though the things he's saying are absolutely ridiculous. And he's acting <laughs> like one, a child. Can I, yeah. can I share one line that can yeah. it up? So uh, they're in a church, you know, from the 1400s that uh, claims to have the dried blood of Christ. And there's, you know, this legend that the dried blood becomes liquid at a certain time of year. So it's like the, the church of the Holy blood. And, um, you know, Ray's just being pouty and kind of making a noise in the back. And so Ken calls him up and he goes, Ray, did we not agree that if I let you go on your day tonight, we do what I want to do this afternoon? And he says, yeah. And he said, and do we also not agree that you wouldn't act like a five-year-old who dropped his fucking sweets? And then he's like, I didn't agree to that. I didn't agree to that. <laughs> and that's just like so great. So he's kind of like, um, yeah, his, his mind's always elsewhere, I feel like, and it's always just kind of like ADD. Yeah. So I would say one one of the main things that you've commented on as well is just the dialogue is incredible. It's hilarious, it's poignant. It is some of the best dialogue. Some of the quotes in this movie, it's hard to 
describe how funny this movie is. And I suppose if it's not your sense of humor, maybe this isn't the podcast for you, but some of the lines are just hysterical. Um, and so I'll, I'll do one from um, Colin Farrell as well, because we're, we're starting there. But uh, he, he's talking, so this is where you Spotify or whatever, but uh, he's uh, talking about um, Bruges and, and Brandon Gleason's asking him, Ken is asking him if he likes it. And he's like, oh, it's, it's a nice place, isn't it? It's lovely. And he goes, if I'd grown up on a farm and was retarded, Bruges might impress me, but it doesn't. <laughs> but I didn't, so it doesn't. <laughs> there's just it's so, so many one line takeaways like that they're just so man they're so in character too oh, it's, so, it's such a difficult skill to have um but yeah and the, i mm-hmm. i was can i quote a line too yeah yeah i just i wasn't sure if we were gonna i wrote some down some lines to quote I'm not sure if we were gonna say them or not not well, we, i think because... we've passed the... <laughs> <laughs> no not because they're like too crass or whatever just because it's all so I, th- I feel like the dialogue and the humor is so contextual yeah um that's so true. it might not if you haven't seen this movie this might not be at also, all funny or appealing i think our line reading probably isn't as great as no it's pretty actors. <laughs> but yeah that there is something to be said for that too where like the performances and the delivery like of a ray fine's line is so funny you're an inanimate fucking <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he goes uh you know Ken is at the pub and he knows he has to kill Ray the next day. So he's getting drunk and um, he sees a little person who is a character in the movie, Jimmy, who they befriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, he compliments the little person on the beauty of his girlfriend. And he says, uh, Oh, she's uh, not my girlfriend. She's a prostitute. I just picked up. And Ken goes, Oh, I wasn't aware of any prostitutes in Bruges. And he and Jimmy, the little person, goes, You just have to look in the right places. Brothels are good. Yeah, so uh, sorry, uh, c- continue, continue on uh, the reasons why you love. Yeah, I mean, I think we can get into the, the thematic stuff here in a second, but I would just say the main, the main reason I enjoy In Bruges so much is that it, it works on several different levels and it does so kind of very knowingly. It is at once, I've, you know, I've watched it with people who just want to have a laugh and they've loved it. I've watched it with people who want to watch it as like a thematic take on, on purgatory and all these other themes we can talk about. And I think, you know, that's my preferred version and it's excellent. And, and You're incredible. saying you watch it with nerds? <laughs> yeah, with you. <laughs> <laughs> it was true. The first time we, I watched this movie, we were in high school and you invited me over and we watched it. And I was just like, what is this? <laughs> This is just, <laughs> I have no idea what to make of it. But I feel like black comedy as a genre in general is to people because some people really don't get it <laughs> or enjoy it. So, or they I mean, feel that, like they're yeah. they know it's funny, but they feel like they're not supposed to laugh. Or yeah, know. it's a tough. Some people, it's just a difficult uh, a sell on this. But um, culture's yeah. become too PC. For... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, take us in Spotify. <laughs> We'll say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, give us a hundred million dollars. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not like this movie wasn't given accolades at the time. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Yeah. Um, but I think it has become somewhat of a cult classic because of just how well done it is and how many points it hits and how many beats it can can get you to laugh and and you know cry at the same time, which is something that I, I very few movies can make you do both those things in the same movie 
and have you walk away like actually thinking about the underlying themes and not just funny lines. Um, but very few movies can make you think about both those things. And that's one of the main reasons why Embridge is such a good movie. Yeah, totally agree. Um, it's also, for being a first time director, I feel like it's a really well-directed movie. Um, dialogue aside and everything aside, like the framing and the lighting, it, it could be easy because Bruges is just such a gothic, incredible kind of place to look at, especially for the night scenes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really impressed by just the kind of the direction of it and how well it flowed and everything. Yeah, I mean, um, the town of Bruges is is part of the plot, really, right? It's it's called in Bruges for a it's reason. It's a character in itself. Yeah. For sure. yeah. Former guest, um, um, Nico Switek, our, our German friend, um, just recently went to Bruges and sent me a bunch of pictures and I was I have never been more jealous. It looked very lovely. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, when I was in the UK, uh, I was going to spend a Christmas in Bruges to celebrate this movie, you know, because this movie takes place during Christmas. And then, like, I was really poor at the time. And I think at the, the time, <laughs> no, I'm super rich now because of how much this podcast is taking off. And I, I put, I don't know, like 70 pounds toward an Airbnb. And then I looked at it again and I had reserves it already, but uh, you know, you could get your money back before a certain time, you know, yeah. I looked at it again and it, it said something like, like vintage room or something. And by vintage, they meant no shower, no hot water, no heating. Closet. Like, uh, you're right. And so, and then I think the other, I think because it was Christmas, it was just really expensive. And so I ended up going to Edinburgh. But um, you and I have to do a pilgrimage over there sometime just to do it. I've heard that you can do it like a tour. I don't know how much, I mean, we're getting further and further away from the movie. So I'm not sure how much longer they'll be giving in Bruges tours in Bruges because mm-hmm. I just think the movie probably is losing uh, viewership as it gets older, which is a shame. Well, but, when uh, this is published. If not, yeah. we, we can go on our own uh, tour and lead it ourselves. Uh, yeah, after this blows up, I'm sure they'll see a huge influx. Buy your tickets now. <laughs> and uh, maybe you can Before beat the rush. Pops off. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I think um, I'm wondering if I could give you my interpretation of the movie and then we can kind of talk about the themes and then talk about some of the little fun kind of flourishes for and sure. make some of the scenes. Uh, what do you think about that? Sounds good to me. Let's hear it. So um, my theory is that movies that last always have something deeper going on than just like good laughs or good performances. You know? I think that's especially true for comedies, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. sure. For yeah. sure. Um, so I feel like this movie, like you said, was recognizing its time. It got nominated for Best Original Screenplay, um, et cetera. But I feel like it's aged super well and has, uh, it could just be the algorithm because they know I like movies like this, but I feel like you see it come up on Netflix and Amazon in a way that it kind of stands head and shoulders above other movies from, I don't know, that era or 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like a lot of people, uh, you know, the hordes of people who are listening to this, uh, maybe you haven't seen the movie, but you've probably heard of it. Um, and I think that is a testament to why. It, so anyways, part of the reason I think it has lasting power is that I do think there's something a lot deeper going on that makes this movie so resonant, um, at least for me and seems like for a lot of other people. Uh, and I think uh, there's a video essay that Nerdwriter does all about how 
kind of interpreting Bruges' purgatory and looking at the language used in it. And so I think that's one common interpretation of this movie is that um, Bruges is kind of an analogy for, or, you know, a symbol for purgatory. And Ray, you know, is kind of the man with his, his life in the balance. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing if he's going to redeem himself and go to heaven or, you know, sink further into his, uh, his sin and his uh, uh, wayward lifestyle and go to hell. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a fair interpretation, but I think to expound on that, um, I would say that Harry is a symbol for like an old Testament God who is unforgiving and is very, um, you know, like divine judgment. Harry kind of has that sense where it's like he's principle, he's unwavering, you know? Um, and so in this interpretation, Harry is God, Ken is Christ. Um, so there's a scene toward the end where unbeknownst to Ken, Ray is back in, uh, in Bruges because you know, he was at on a date and he punched this guy out um, for m- mouthing off to his girlfriend. And so... You hit you know, the Canadian. Down. <laughs> I didn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love so another little flourish of this movie. You know, he's on a train exiting Bruges to kind of avoid Harry's wrath because Harry gets wind that Ray's still alive. And so he comes from England to Bruges to track him down and do it himself, right? So uh, Ray's, you know, taken off to some train somewhere and the cops track him down because, you know, this Canadian that he assaulted uh, is going to try him in court or whatever. And so the customs guy sees him on the train. He's like, you Irish? He's like, yes. He's like, your name? And he goes, Derek Perlural. And I just love, we've all been in that situation where we had to make up a name and we always make up the stupidest, <laughs> unrealistic name. So good. Um, so anyhow, uh, Ken uh, ends up t- uh, trying to trying to save uh, Ray from Harry and um, ends up getting killed by Harry in the bell tower. And, um, and then warns uh, Ray by jumping off the bell tower and you know having mm-hmm. a last word with him as he's as he's dying on the ground. So um, Ken very much becomes a Christ-like figure, um, and I think that's you know pretty pronounced. And I have uh, to is... have to mention the the Berliners on Raglan Road playing during that is like so unreal, good. unreal. Oh, it's so good. Um, and then you know Ray's uh, standing for man or humanity. Um, and then I think you can make the case even Marie, who is the hotel mm-hmm. owner and operator. Um, you know, her, her name's Marie. So obviously there's, you know, reference to Mary, uh, the Virgin Mary. And she's pregnant. And she also stands in the way between, you know, the wrath of God, of Harry, and uh, Ray. After Ken dies, um, Harry goes to the hotel where Ray has to retrieve his gun. And um, Harry's going to go up to his room, but Marie stands in the way and uh, blocks him on the stairs. And mm. uh, so I feel like there are these kind of um, people interceding uh, on, beha- on man's behalf to God. And those people are, are Christ and Mary um, in, in purgatory, right? In, in Bruges. Um, and I think it's kind of a, a Catholic uh, influenced interpretation I think the Protestant you know has different imagery a little bit for those you know so like the Virgin Mary is less pronounced in the Protestant tradition but uh, Martin McDonough 
um, was raised uh, Catholic and you can see these kind of Catholic themes in a lot of his work. And then there's a, there's a scene where um, they're looking at a Hieronymus Bosch painting, The Last Judgment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Ken's kind of explaining to him what the painting's depicting and, um, you know, man atoning for their sins and experiencing the wrath of God and in this uh, last judgment. And so, yeah, anyhow, um, I think watching the movie last night, again, I, you know, interpreted, I looked under that lens for each of these characters. And I think I, I kind of more or less fit. And it was kind of an intriguing way to watch the movie. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely, there are definitely evidence for that interpretation. Um, it's not the one that I watched it with, but I do think there's certainly the archetypes there for kind of old world gods. And I think the those themes are kind of baked in to the purgatory theme. There's definitely, I mean, the there's a whole bit about how if he, if um, he kills himself, it's not going to bring absolution, which is obviously right. very kind of Catholic take right. on um, the Last Judgment and these types of things. So I mean, Catholicism, especially since it's in Bruges, where you have the, the kind of pilgrimage to the temple with the blood and all these other things, I think the, the Catholicism is certainly central to the plot, at least the themes as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, so uh, what's like the, the deeper meaning for you for this movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think the the purgatory thing is really what stands out to me. It's not necessarily that, you know, it, you could take it at a very minimal level and be like, oh, the town is purgatory and he's trying to, you know, figure his way out. Um, but I think the allegory of purgatory is more that purgatory in and of itself is already an allegory for kind of redemption and um, moral, moral good versus kind of evil. Um, and I think that's plays into kind of your interpretation a bit, but also it's just the theme throughout the the movie itself is the juxtaposition of, of Ray Fiennes and, um, you know, Colin Farrell as to whether, you know, at what point do you pass beyond redemption? At what point is your soul no longer able to be saved? Um, and so he's done something horrible, but uh, as, as, you know, Ken says, like he can still change. I think that's, to me, that line in and of itself is, kind of an encapsulation of the themes that no matter what you've done, you know, no matter who you are, if you try hard enough, if you dedicate your life not to suffering in and of itself, not punishing yourself, which is, I think, something it goes to, um, it, it goes through these different things and says, you know, what would someone do who's trying to redeem themselves? Punishing yourself is not necessarily something that's going to improve the world or make up for your sins. Well, it might you know, give you some sort of um, satisfaction that you're doing something to atone it's not actually helping anyone and so he they kind of push towards what type of what you need to do to redeem yourself you have to come to terms with what you've done and actually change and I think showing how difficult it is to actually change you know when he ends up in fights still and ends up uh, you know messing up relationships and these types of things they don't just make it as easy as a normal movie would that people change overnight it's it's not something that you can just do. It's something that requires time and patience and friends and a community that can push you towards becoming a better version of yourself to redeem yourself. And um, for me, that's something that kind of stands out amidst all the, the funny humor and the dialogue. Yeah, I love, it might be my favorite scene in the movie when Ken and Harry 
are uh, having a last beer together before they, you know, have a duel, essentially. You know, they both have their guns, but they're being civil. And, you know, these two characters go go way back to, you know, the 70s. They've known each other a long time. It's mentioned uh, that Harry, that um, Ken's wife was murdered and Harry went and got the guy who did it. Harry Waters and got so, him. Harry Waters got him. Um, and so there's there's very much a fondness between these characters, even though there's this disagreement of how to deal with Ray. Um, so they're sharing a beer together at this um, at this Belgian pub uh, before they have their duel. And <laughs> to your point, um, they're discussing the capacity for Ray to change. And he and Harry goes, "Pardon me, Ken." I have the capacity to change. And Ken goes, yeah, you have the capacity to get even worse. <laughs> I love it. And then it gets crasser and it's great. I was, I was wondering if you're going to give us the full line. Uh, <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. Uh, it's so good though. And I think, um, yeah, so I, th- I think that's, a, I think it's a huge, huge theme in the movie is can people change and probably what makes a great film is that it doesn't uh provide a simple answer yeah exactly i I think it requires you to look at who you are and what you need to change right and then it does also make the point that some people are just past you know absolution (laughs) at a certain point in time you're too far gone and i think that's uh, more of a nuanced take on you know the anything can change story which is you know a staple of rom-coms and much worse movies than this yeah so do you think uh ray changes do you think that he achieves absolution i think at the very end i think we're at least i take away from you know i I really didn't want to die i think at the very least he's decided that he's going to give it a shot and i think that is change um but yeah i mean i think he it's unclear whether or not he was actually going to be able to achieve redemption but the change is more him going from I'm a lost cause to at least at least I can give it a shot. I can try to change, which, you know, is change. Yeah. So um, Ken dies trying to warn Ray. Um, Harry finally spots Ray outside the bell tower and then he chases him down. Uh, they have the confrontation at the hotel. Marie intervenes gives Ray uh, a short uh, head start. And then uh, Harry finally tracks him down again through this film set and shoots him and shoots him like four times. And um, and I think that then, plays into your, um, you know, the, the idea that after that he shoots himself is this man's got to have code, you know? And even yeah, though totally. it's, it's not necessarily that, but I think it plays into your idea that this is, he's he's basically the, the version of justice that is an eye for an eye, old testimony, yeah. eye for an eye yeah. justice, where you have a code, you break the rules, you go to hell, that sort of yeah. thing. And I think that plays out. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, you know, Harry kills himself because, uh, you know, in a, in a scene that directly mirrors the scene with the, the botched kind of hit, um, the little person character, Jimmy, uh, mm-hmm. is killed but you know he's on a movie set and he's dressed like a kid and so Harry thinks that he's a kid and so he, Harry thinks that he killed a kid and since he's condemned yeah him. exactly um, so anyways 
uh, Ray, the, the final scene in the movie, Ray is being put into an ambulance and you hear this voiceover, um, which I believe is the first voiceover we hear of Ray and except for the very first opening of the film, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of bookended with Ray voiceovers. Mm-hmm. And he just reflects on how, you know, somewhere in London, there's a, a Christmas presents under a tree that will never be opened. Um, and if he were to survive, he'd go to that family and take whatever punishment uh, the mother. I believe he says the mother, which is interesting. He doesn't say the parents. Um, the mother gives them right and so mm-hmm. and then like you're saying he says he really really hopes he doesn't die <laughs> i love how he says uh and i was like at least in heaven or at least in hell i wouldn't be in fucking bruges <laughs> i loved <laughs> that and then he worries that that hell is bruges and that and like, i thought but if hell is bruges <laughs> what this is like yeah brilliant so good it's funny um, that bruges has embraced it because the main character does shit on bruges enough but it shows that they have a sense of humor and that you know he he's meant to be the naive one that's not appreciating the true beauty of bruges yeah <laughs> well i think uh there's more more characters in the movie that love bruges than uh that's than true despise. that's true yeah and brennan gleason's character is pretty effusive in his praise of bruges um yeah those are the big points there are a couple fun little flourishes um i feel like that we could talk about or some of the other lines um to wrap this up but yeah what else did you want to touch on yeah what do you have a favorite secondary character because we've talked about the main there's the main three characters then there's quite a few secondary characters as well who play kind of either big parts in the plot or kind of just fun uh asides um i don't know if you have a favorite that's a really good question. Who's my favorite secondary character? Um, what I love about Martin McDonough movies is that every person he chooses to show on screen has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, he hints at a whole world and interiority in that person, even if they only have, you know, 15 seconds of screen time. Yeah. Um, I'll say, uh, I'll say not a character, but a, a f- family almost. Okay. Harry's, <laughs> the Americans? Harry's, no, Harry's oh, I thought you were going to say the chubby Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Uh, if you're an American watching this movie, just be prepared for some, you know. Oh, you don't want to go up there. And, yeah. There's just like in the movie, there's just fat Americans and loud tourists, and Americans don't come off looking great. Oh, I'm not being funny. <laughs> so, um, no, so there's a scene where Harry fields a phone call from his house, and his wife and Yamamoto are there and his children. And it's kind of implied that Harry has two wives, or at least like a cohabitating mistress and a wife, and children that belong to the mistress and the wife and it's just a funny like weird aside you know and so when ray finds is saying that he has to go you know deal with a matter of honor and he has to go away for a weekend and he's talking to his kids he says like be nice for your mom and yamamoto <laughs> it's like what's going on here i love it do you want a spinoff maybe that's what the new movie is about it's yamamoto's uh <laughs> yeah we we see a trailer drop and it's 
we got the original cast of Rim Bruges uh, back together, and it's all about Yamamoto and his wife. <laughs> yeah. Who is who's your good. favorite uh, secondary character? No, that's a good one. I feel like I would go more like thematic. I feel like um, Marie adds a lot. You already mentioned her because her character adds like the humanity, I think, in a lot of these scenes. Uh, I will give a shout out to um, Clemence Posey as well. Um, who oh, plays Fleur Delacour in the Harry Potter movies. She's probably best known for that. She's great as Chloe in this. Um, that's kind of like the the <laughs> the, girl, the girlfriend who was actually like a con woman. Um, and he finds out later on that she was just trying to rob him, but then she actually kind of falls for him. Um, great stuff. And, and uh, I would say as the funniest secondary character, you can either go with um, Jimmy, who we talked about, or Yuri, who we haven't mentioned. But Yuri's character, he's like the arms dealer in the area, who, who has like five lines, but they're all very funny. Um, and he kind of steals some scenes, which is tough to do when you're in scenes with Brendan Gleeson and uh, Ray Fiennes. But uh, yeah, he's, he's like, uh, you want an Uzi? And Ray Fiennes said, an Uzi? I'm not from South Central fucking Los Angeles. I didn't come here to shoot 20 black murals with a, in a fucking drive-by. I want a normal gun for a normal person. <laughs> That line, I want a normal gun for a normal person, is. Is he going on to you about the alcoves? It's an all time line. And so coming good. after Park. So uh, very, very good. I will say, Brendan Gleeson shows some range, too, because I think he's typically typecast as like a hard nosed gangster type, but he really doesn't play that. At, like you said, he plays more of like a um, kind of like a Milton esque figure of uh, like leading leading uh, Ray through through purgatory and trying to bring him to absolution is more of a, a father figure. Um, yeah, but that, that last scene where yeah. they, you know, are supposed to have the shootout in the bell tower mm. and he says, you know, Harry, like, in spite of everything, like, I love you, I'm not going to fight you, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He has, and then Harry's like, well, fine, I'll just shoot you in the head right now. And he's like, do what you have to do. There's this... Uh-huh look in his eyes that becomes so almost childlike and, and puppyish and it's i can't describe how like incredible it is to go to that in that place yeah. Yeah. from what he was like the whole movie which is mm-hmm. more or less i don't know it's not an easy role to play but it was more standard of life but yeah, i was incredible. okay so you're talking about situational comedy I'll, I'll go with my favorite scene probably in the whole movie which is when uh, he's trying. He's gonna have to go kill his partner, and he sneaks up on him in the park, and he finds that Ray has his gun to his own head, <laughs> and then he runs up instead of shooting him, stops him, and he goes, "What are you doing, Ray?" And Ray's like, "What are you doing?" And he hides the gun behind his back and goes, "Nothing." <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good. The way he sits up and hides the gun is like just pure comedy gold. Uh, it's amazing. But uh, it's so good. every scene in that movie is is pretty damn memorable. Um, I don't. Do you have any? So if people liked In Bruges, if they didn't like In Bruges, then they didn't get this far in the podcast. So I'm gonna assume people either are willing to give it a shot or they liked it. What other movies would you recommend that they people check out? Nothing is gonna live up to In Bruges, but yeah, that's a good question. Um, I feel like an overlooked part of Martin McDonough's oeuvre. Uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I got you're the you're the literary major. Seven Psychopaths, which I was going to bring second. this up. That was one of the two movies I had listed. So I think I don't know. Sometimes I almost 
Yeah, sometimes it's like almost a toss-up to me. It's not actually a toss-up to me. I still like Imbruge more. But Seven Psychopaths is so much fun. It's pure, just like fun the whole time. And Sam Rockwell... Um, Sam Rockwell's hilarious is, in that. He's perfectly he's, matches the McDonough like crazy vibe. Yeah. 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 He's, so if you, you can make the case that this is a buddy comedy in some ways between Brendan Gleeson and, and Colin Farrell. So Colin Farrell's in Seven Psychopaths too, and he's a protagonist, but um, Sam Rockwell is, you know, his kind of right hand mm-hmm. man and their chemistry and, and it's just the best Rockwell performance ever. Um, yeah. So I'd recommend Seven Psychopaths. It's very, you know, gory. And, and very thematically rich as well, though. It's more like, a, I would say it's even more like a play almost. Like there's like cutaways to other scenes that, you know, vignettes about monks killing themselves in Vietnam and lots of fun little thematic flourishes like that totally um yeah let's see other other movies that um one might like so because i know you like this movie as well but it's this is a bit so this is still i don't know if it's so there's still colin farrell crossover but it's also still not like a straightforward movie but i was gonna suggest the lobster as well which is definitely different but still you know satirical and more of a straight-up satire um but also a brilliant movie. Really hard to recommend. That is, I would say, Bruges is like, you know, I, I'll recommend that to anyone. The Lobster, you have to be really sure you know what people's sensibilities are because they might hate it. <laughs> but I would never, they, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would say that's a brilliant movie. I would put The Lobster in like my top 25. Lobster is a terrific it's movie. A phenomenal movie. I just like movies that take risks, and you're like, I genuinely haven't seen anything like this before. Well, you watch Colin Farrell um, in this and in that, you really get a sense of how good that guy is at acting. Yeah, it's insane. He's an incredible actor. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, I think The Lobster is such a great film. Um, that's a good call. Um, I'll go if you like Ray Fiennes in this. I'm gonna recommend a movie that most people haven't seen or probably heard of it's called a bigger splash okay i'll have to check it out so yeah those are some those are some uh some movie ideas for the fans uh anything else for, for no any i mean other we have we could go you? on movie recommendations all day we might have to have people maybe we could do like a thematic one where we do like our favorite we did our favorite sci-fi a while back that was fun maybe we'll have to do our favorite rom-coms or something that's that'd be point. cool that'd be uh, but cool. our next one for our nerdier fans our next one's going to be about a scientific uh it's going to be more of a in your wheelhouse for the academic nerds we're going to be talking about anecdotal evidence and how much i hate it and anyone who knows me knows that i go on about how much anecdotal evidence is the worst um there will be an obama accent involved uh there will be a discussion of democrats and republicans there will be lots of anecdotal evidence used to make my point ironically um yeah, so if that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. Do you want to hear my Obama impression? <laughs> no, save it for the next spot. We're gonna. I'm gonna oh, need it's to, so good. I'll, I can send you something. You got to keep them, keep them uh, wanting more. You know. All right, come tune in for our next podcast where you'll hear my Obama impression. <laughs> tune into our next podcast. Morgan and Eddie get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and also get a hundred million dollars from Spotify. Exactly. <laughs> because we question COVID. Ooh. <laughs> Until next Um, time, rational listeners. Alrighty, peace out.